miss that? Hey, welcome to episode one of the How Did We Miss That podcast. I'm Christine. And I'm John. And we're going to kind of, I think, get right into it. This is not our other podcast where we talk about things and how we feel. Yes, I'm excited. This is uh, something new for me, especially. So yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to go down this journey with you. So let's do it. Me too. Let's do it. So today I have for you a story that I picked, especially for episode one. So the reason I want to do this podcast is because I love to listen to true crime podcasts. I have tons that are on my playlist, listen to them all the time. And sometimes I'll be driving in the car and they'll be talking about a specific crime. And I'm thinking to myself, how on earth did nobody know about this? They'll be yeah. talking about like a serial killer that killed 50 people. And we're like, how was this not national news? Yeah, there's a lot of things out there like that, that we always, you and I just as a couple comment on like, how did we miss that movie that came out or, but these crimes, especially, and you know, way more about them than I do, but right. there's some that you would think would have been front page news. And who knows what was going on during that time frame that it just went right past us. I yeah. mean, so for whatever reason, it was missed by the majority of people. And I, when I mean the majority of people, it might have been on the news. It might have been in, you know, front page of the little town paper. Yeah. Um, But when you mention it to someone, they're like, I had no idea that even happened. Yeah. And those little town papers are hard to pick up. So if it right. doesn't hit mainstream media. You'll, some people will never see it. The majority of the population will never see it. Right. So this particular crime that I chose, um, it actually did hit national news. It has a 48 hours episode. It was on the cover of People magazine. Um, I actually got an article from Orange County Register that I read. So it actually did hit mainstream. But so what you're saying is we just blew it. We totally we totally <laughs> dropped the ball on this one. So the reason I chose it is because it's from 2014 which was not that long ago. No, not at all. Um, and it was right in our backyard. And I'm like, how on earth did I miss this? So it was right in our backyard. We were living in Ladera Ranch, California, which is literally 15 minutes from San Juan Capistrano, where this kind of took place. 2014, we just had, our daughter was two. Should we give a little context, assuming most people don't live in California? Sure. So it's like South Orange County. South Orange County. There's yeah. Camp Pendleton, which maybe people have heard of, which is a huge Marine base. And San Juan Capistrano is like just north of that. The mission is there. Maybe people have heard of. But this is kind of a wealthy, right, sleepy towns. Don't think like Anaheim or North Orange County where there's a fair amount of crime and you would maybe expect more things like this to happen. Things like this never happened in those areas. Right. And it actually like rocked the little small community when this happened. Uh, although we're part of that community and I don't know it. Right. So <laughs> maybe that's a good thing, I guess. I guess. So <laughs> this is the murder of Andra and Brad Sachs. It kind of began in the early morning hours of February 9th of 2014. So we were just about to celebrate my birthday. Yep. Um, police responded to a 911 call at an $8 million estate in San Juan Capistrano. So this is no like little tiny home. This is quite a large, ritzy. Yes, you and know, that area has Juan. a mix of homes where there are some kind of, kind of tiny areas down by the mission or whatever. So this must have been up in the hills, the high yes, rent district. Okay. Absolutely. It's up in the hills. So the first cop reports multiple gunshot casings as soon as they walked in the door um, from a 22 caliber semi-automatic rifle that were just kind of splayed all over the floor. There was blood everywhere. And 54-year-old Andra and 57-year-old Brad were found in their bed covered in blood. Um, their eight-year-old son Landon was face down in the hallway having been fired upon. And then their 17-year-old daughter Alexis 
she was like narrowly missed. So she was fine, but that she'd been shot on too. Um, they also had a 15 year old daughter, Lana, um, and she, for some reason, I don't know why she escaped attention from the shooter. She was in her bedroom with the two dogs. She had heard the gunshots, but nothing happened to her. She was completely fine. Hmm. And the couple's two oldest boys, Miles, 21, and Ashton, 19, they had moved away to Washington State to attend college, so they were not in the home. Okay. So Alexis reports hearing somebody slamming open her door and then a gunshot. You know, obviously she was startled awake. She was scared. She was in her bedroom. Um, She didn't really understand what was going on until she heard her brother, her brother Landon, eight years old, crying for help. Yeah. Um, The shooter had snuck into the house, went up to the top floor where Andrea and Brad were in bed and just completely opened fire on them. Wow. It's crazy because when you you said that they were, she was startled awake by the gunshot. There's always in my experience that, that processing moment of was that a gunshot or not? And like, you know what I mean? Like gunshots are a very distinct sound that if you haven't heard regularly or before, it could be anything, a backfire down the street or. It takes a moment to think about what was that and then react. Yeah, exactly. So the pol- the police initially believed that it was a home invasion, but then nothing was stolen. Um, so, I mean, it's just a killing for the sake of killing at this point. Yeah, straight up murder. Exactly. Alexis had hidden her bed, like I said, until she heard her brother crying for help. She found him bleeding. He couldn't feel his leg. So um, it actually turns out that Landon has been paralyzed by okay. this particular shot. Yeah. He wasn't killed. He was shot in the stomach. So now he's paralyzed. Um, Alexis went into her parents' bedroom to try to talk to them. They weren't answering. They had been shot in the face. Police say that the killer left absolutely no room for them to survive. That's basically, yeah, how many times he was shot. So initially the motive was unknown, but the community and law enforcement speculated that the slayings may have stemmed from some bad business dealings. Okay. So these people were very big in the business world, especially Andra, which we'll find out in a little bit. Um, she had some really big properties that were both commercial and residential. All in the Orange County property. All in the Orange there? County area, okay. um, which included this 8,784 square foot home. It was eight bedrooms and six bathrooms. Just this, a little place. Just starter a little, yeah. you know, a little starter house. Yeah, no big deal. But the shock of the community turned to disbelief less than a month later when the police arrested Ashton, their second oldest son. Um, the case against the teen includes his own words and some damning evidence that they found in his car. His mother had just recently purchased him a white Toyota Prius, oh, like you do. Nice. Yeah. Um, and inside of it, they found a Ruger semi-automatic rifle. And so later on, a ballistics expert would testify that the bullets found in the home came from this particular gun. Right. So it's kind of, uh, you know. Did the did any of your information say what type of like was it an AR fifteen or I'm not familiar with my rifles so when it just said twenty two caliber semi automatic okay yeah so so that could have the look of like an AR fifteen but yeah okay I got gotcha. you mm-hmm. we won't get too technical into the gun stuff on episode one no so the community is <laughs> super confused at this point oh, of they don't know yeah. I mean this is nothing that they would ever expect yeah yeah family and friends are shocked not expecting this. They don't know what happened. They don't know what triggered him. So in order to kind of figure out where this is all coming from, I guess we have to kind of know a little bit about their story. Yeah, absolutely. So after the detectives arrested him, he didn't really have too much to say. Didn't really, I guess, have a motive. All he kind of told him was that, quote, his life was fucked up. I'd say so. I mean, that's such a 19-year-old thing to say, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
so at this point he had stopped going to school. Um, he was spending his time smoking pot and playing video games again. Like you do. 19. Yeah. Like you do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, he said he just didn't trust his parents anymore. They seemed to favor his siblings. At this point, he's kind of sounding like a little spoiled brat, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, so his original plan had been to shoot his parents and then to kill himself. But what he could never explain, and he still hasn't explained why he wounded Landon and tried to shoot Alexis. So that's something that yeah, never talked I, about I, why, just did it. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm no doctor or psychologist, but I think you get into those high stress situations and your plan doesn't necessarily work out. I mean, you look at these right. active shooter things at schools or whatever, and people sometimes have targeted things, but then end up just killing anybody that comes in their sight because they really don't know what to do and any potential challenge will derail their original plan. So maybe he didn't expect them to be there. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it'd be nice to they're know. younger, so I'm not really sure where on earth they would possibly be, but yeah, I mean, that could have been it. Yeah. Maybe Alexis waking up hearing the, the initial gunshot, maybe, you know, the brother had woken up too. He didn't expect that to happen. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, so I had I had mentioned that Ashton and his older brother were in Washington State going to college. The family insists that right before he moved in the fall of 2013, he was like super excited about his future. He's like really upbeat. Everything was good. So again, everyone's just like, I, we don't understand what's going on here. But in order for us to figure out what went wrong, I think it's important to understand a little about the Saxes backstory. Yep. The back sax. The back sex. Uh, it seems easy to just blame the family for creating a rich entitled son. I mean, I'm looking at this going, this kid's like, you know, all Orange County kids. Most of us don't like open fire on our parents, but. So, but we know that life well. Neither one of us were like that. I didn't grow up in Orange County, but we saw plenty of examples of that kind exactly. of. Exactly. I mean, there's a whole TV show about it, which we love. The OC. <laughs> the OC. That kind of gets into that. But I mean, it's there were some. Uh, essence of realism in that show as corny as some of it is there are some spoiled entitled rich families down there that get themselves into trouble with drugs and all these other things so right and that's who it. knows that's the point they don't understand the consequences right so in this particular they case they never have any you know he didn't understand the consequences of what he was doing so the story has like the story the family excuse me has a really interesting story but i think andra's was the most interesting she was a self-made m- woman. She was extremely business savvy. Everybody describes her of, ha- of having an imposing physical presence. She was probably worth $80 million. Jesus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a-, a friend of the family described her as very intimidating, like Xena warrior princess. <laughs> um, and I think that's due to the fact that she was five foot 11. Yeah. So she was like some, this Amazon woman. Yeah. Okay. Um, she grew up in Maryland. Her dad worked for the national security administration. He had eventually retired, and when she was 15, he moved his whole family to San Diego. Okay. San Diego, California. Yep. Um, I mean, we know what this is like because we moved 3,000 miles away. Yeah. Luckily, we were able to rent a home, but in this process, he put the home that they were in for sale, but also was trying to buy another home. Yeah. So there was a period of time there where they literally had no money at all. So I guess this really, really traumatized Andra. And she said she never, ever wants to be without money ever again. So that's kind of why she has the strive. She graduates with a business degree from Cal State Long Beach, and she founded her own company like right away. Her colleagues called her brilliant. 
And then by this time, she had married Bradford Sachs. So this is her husband, Brad. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a passion for surfing and playing the drums. He, you know, seemed like a little bit more laid back where she was a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. They kind of seemed like a, you know, a good partnership, I think. A regular Sandy and Kirsten. Right. <laughs> Um, they met at a computer trade show and then they became business partners. Um, they ran everything from a telemarketing company to a Sunset Beach wine bar Ooh. called Taste of Napa. Okay. So they kind of sound like us. We're doing yeah. all kinds of things together, right? Yeah, right. He was laid back. He never raised his voice. The All his friends and family kind of described them as what I described them. She's like super aggressive go-getter. He's like, hey, everything's going to be fine. Kind of laid back part but of the a good, family. But a good match, right? Good. Yeah, it's a good Bal- balance. A good balance, yeah. So within six years, the couple had had four children. Oh, boy. That's, yeah, super fast, too, right? Too many, if you know me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so they had Miles first, and then Ashton, and then they had two girls, Alexis and Sabrina. And we haven't mentioned Sabrina, and there's a reason I'm going to get to just now. Okay. Um, they were both only 11 months apart, so they were really close, Yeah, the girls. Um, the family lived in Pacific Palisades before moving to a 5,400 square foot waterfront home in Huntington Beach, California. So that's, okay. it's not as ritzy as San Juan, but we're kind of getting there. Well, when you're right on the beach in Huntington, it's pretty good. But yeah. Right. So it was there on April 28th, 1999, that the family first began to fall apart. So here we go. Here we go. Brad was out of town on business. Adra had gone to work. Sorry, Adra. Andra, excuse me. And Andra. Andra <laughs> had gone to work and she left their two youngest in the care of a 20-year-old nanny. Okay. Um, at around 10 o'clock, the nanny, her name was Lorena, was cooking in the kitchen and she saw two-year-old Alexis outside on the deck by the spa. So the, the family had a little spa and she was kind of playing outside on the deck. Sounds safe. So she kind of, well, right. So she kind of freaked out. She grabbed 16-month-old Sabrina from her high chair. She was eating. And then she went outside to grab the older sister. She had told investigators that she had, you know, was holding Alexis. Alexis started kicking and fussing. And so she set Sabrina down on the deck so that she could get a better hold of Alexis while Alexis kicked her sister into the spa. Oh, no. Right. <laughs> That's why we haven't heard of Sabrina. This is why we have not heard of Sabrina. I was not expecting this. So I don't know why. This seems really fishy to me, this part of the story. But Lorena ran to get her husband. Like, I don't know why you don't just fish the kid out of the spa. Yeah, that doesn't. I, we, I've heard that in other stories right? before. Like these people act completely irrationally. Like just call 911 or try to get them out. Like you said, mm-hmm. help. Don't just go run for someone else who you think can help better i guess i don't i don't know well the story gets weirder so again she runs to get her husband he was upstairs in the house i don't know why why the husband's there now too yeah that well but whatever now it's getting really fishy he attempted what investigators called feeble attempts at cpr as lorena called andra at work <laughs> so still no emergency still services, we're right? not right oh boy so andra's like in a panic right yeah she's telling her call 911 but the emergency response was delayed because the dispatcher could not understand the nanny who only spoke Spanish. Of course. Yeah. That's very typical. But then for again, Orange I'm County. also thinking to myself, isn't that a, am I stupid? Isn't that a prerequisite that you know different languages? I mean, no, not for it's a not? private hire like that, but I think that. No, no, no. I mean like an emergency dispatcher. Oh, no, not at all. No, oh, it's not. No. Oh, my should be. <laughs> they'll have, they'll have Especially someone. In California. Come on. Yeah. They'll have someone in there that will have, um, 
the ability to translate or they have like a line that they can transfer it to that can translate and then okay. put it on the screen. Okay. That makes sense. But I, I wanted, I thought you were talking about the nanny and needing to speak multiple languages. Right? But for me, what kind of parent hires a nanny that doesn't speak a lick of English, doesn't know CPR? I mean, what's going on here? This is crazy. Yeah. So that's why I was saying the story is like super fishy this at this point. This isn't the 1950s. I mean, come on. Right. So because they were delayed, the paramedics tried to revive Sabrina, but she was pronounced dead at Huntington Beach Hospital. Um, They c- considered the death an accident. I think they should go back. I think this should be like maybe episode two. We should go into. Yeah, maybe. How did we miss that? Well, I mean, it's um, technically an accident, but. Right, I just feel like the kicking in the into the spa is an accident. The right, what happened just, after that? Just put your arm in and pick the kid up. Right, what happened after that? Technically, again, from my very limited knowledge of law and whatnot, could be considered an accident as well. But it also could be considered like negligence. You know, like, yeah. I mean, why not? Your first call should have been to nine one one, then to all those other people while you're trying to do, even if it's feeble CBR, CPR. That's the order of operations there, you know? Exactly. Well, anyway, the family was so devastated that within six months, Brad had filed for divorce. He accused his wife in court of being mentally unbalanced, saying she just basically couldn't get over this, which, I mean, I kind of understand. I would be completely devastated if my kid died. Yes, and maybe you can answer this better than I can, but as a woman who is the go-getter and going out and making the money and owning the company. Maybe she felt a little sense of responsibility because I'm sure all of her friends or most of her friends are maybe stay-at-home moms and taking care of their kids, and she had to pawn them off onto a nanny. That's a good point. basically fucked up. Yeah. I mean, I just, my point is I don't fault her for that. No, no, Um, no. But she probably feels that burden, which could cause her to go a little kooky, which made Mr. Brad leave. Right. So Andra says that Brad was a neglectful parent. He was only interested in his hobbies and their business. And she also complained um, in a January 2000 declaration that he refused to go get counseling to deal with the trauma of Sabrina's death. So it sounds like she wanted to deal with it. She wanted to talk it out. He just wanted to like move on, I guess. You know, everybody deals with grief differently. Some people just want to like not talk about it. And some people really want to hash it out. So kind of sounds like these things just contributed to their you know, sort of falling apart here. Well, there's those five stages of grief or whatever, and everybody right. deals with them differently, but you do need to do them. And one of them is talking it out at some point. But Right. So because of her instability, it added stress to the business. And, you know, just to add some more flame to the fire here or fuel to the fire, flame to the fire. How can more flames to a fire? Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, that's a little <laughs> a weird. Fuel maybe. to know. add more fuel yeah. to the fire. Brad fires Andra from their business. A lot of hot fire talk right now. Hot fire. <laughs> um, Basically saying her behavior is distracted. Yeah. She can't yeah. be part of this business anymore. So he fires her. She feels totally betrayed, which I get her. I get it. Yeah. Um. So in February of 2000, they're finally issued an official divorce. So this was Less than a year later, their company goes bankrupt. So now they're like financial problems as well. Yeah. So not only do they have a kid dead, now their business is bankrupt. They're getting a divorce. Bad. American dream is crumbling down. Right. Just bad all around. Yeah, absolutely. So they've also got a custody trial that's pending. 
And Andrew decides to apply for a temporary restraining order against Brad. Oh, those are always good. In March of 2000. She says that he assaulted her in front of their children. Okay. But two weeks later, they decide to reconcile. Yeah. Well, did she have any evidence of this? I don't know. It doesn't say in any of the paperwork that I got. So, Um, I mean, can I go on a little tangent for one second? Yeah. I have a little experience with this. Oh, do tell. (laughs) Yeah. And so I believe that you can go get a restraining order with the right kind of cheeseball lawyer without having any pictures or evidence or anything to almost use as a scare tactic. Right. I thought that the police had to have pictures or some kind of evidence to actually do it. But in my particular case, that did not happen because there were no pictures to produce. There was no reason for a restraining order. Um, It was purely used as a scare tactic. And so I think that, I don't know if that's the way of things, but um, I thought you needed some kind of proof to get it. It would make sense. So, I mean, like if you go to report that your car was stolen or damaged or whatever, you have to show some kind of proof or the cops won't even go through the process. They won't file it because you could be charged with um, false reporting. Right. I'm just not sure, like I said, from personal experience, I guess for a restraining order, you don't have to. Huh. Because you would, like, think, you would think you would, but I mean. Right. I mean, did she actually see, was she assaulted, like she said? So there's nothing in the information that tells us whether that was a founded, you hmm. know, restraining order or not. Um, there's a lot going on here. It just, yeah. I mean, really, right? Lots yeah. to unpack here. So even though they apparently divorced. The couple decides they're going to keep their family together because they say that their children mean everything to them. So they're divorced, yet they're not divorced. Stay together for the kids. Always a good strategy. Right. (laughs) So here we are nine years later. Brad and Andra celebrate their new San Juan Capistrano home with family members and friends in a nice housewarming party. Like you do. And they're, they're not legally separated or anything. They decided just to call the whole thing off. Still married. I'm thinking so. Even okay. though the judge issued a divorce, it sounds like they're still together. I don't know if they overturned it or... Yeah, I don't know. What the situation is. I mean, it is nine years later. So I guess in that process, they yeah. could have remarried okay. or, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, So the housewarming party that they're throwing is also a celebration of the latest real estate triumph that she has just had, as well as the family's apparent resilience. Great. And this like is... celebrating two- it all. 2009, you said? Yes. Okay. This would be 2009. Yes. Yeah. Um, and also, by now, they have added to their family. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> they adopted Landon, so he's the eight-year-old that's paralyzed, and yeah. his older sister, Lana, from a Russian orphanage in 2007. So now we're just this big, huge, happy family. Yeah. But this is where things start to get kind of weird. At the housewarming party, guests were a little unnerved by the behavior of one of the children. At one point, a guest says, I felt like I'd been hit with a gallon of water from a garden hose. Hmm. So standing on top of the waterfall that emptied into their pool. So, you know, those styles of pools where there's like a huge yeah. waterfall that goes into yeah. the pool was Ashton. At this point, he was 15 years old and he was up there with a bazooka style water gun shooting everybody in the side of the head. Oh, we love those people, right? <laughs> right. So, he's been described as dark-haired, skinny, and quite a bit shorter than his older brother. Ashen was known as the practical joker. Yeah. 
though his jokes didn't, I mean, they didn't hurt anybody. It was just water on the side of your head, stuff like that. Yeah. So at this point, he's not actually hurting anyone. He kind of seems like one of those kids that, you know, these ones, they don't have any boundaries. Yeah. Like you can tell their parents like, oh no, don't do that. But he doesn't like have any consequences for what he does. Yes. Right? Typical of that area and age and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So he kind of sounds like that kind of kid to me at this point. By 2012, so it's a few years later, Ashton, apparently he's matured since this 15-year-old kid shooting kids in the, or people on the side of the head with a bazooka yeah, you, water as gun. you should, yes. Right. Um, he's about to graduate from Dana Hills High School. He was an A student. He had a knack for computers. His mom is like super proud of him telling everyone that he is going to go to UC Irvine to major in computer science. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he might go to law school. So his Ooh. parents are like, oh, he's he's really going to do it. It's yeah, going to be great. Yeah, he's favorite. But 15 months later, things start to just completely go off the rails. So he's graduated, but like a year later, he's something's wrong. Yeah. Ashton was a little messed up, basically. Emotionally, mostly. His mother was concerned about the amount of time he spent playing League of Legends and World of Warcraft video games. Okay. So we kind of know how those go. Yeah, but those don't necessarily lead you to crazy shoot 'em up. That's more like the actual um, shooter games. This is more right. like fantasy, whatever. Yeah. So but for I get kids it, who but... are like emotionally messed up, these things can kind of lead to a break in reality and yeah. fantasy. They like draw you in deeper, too. Right, right. So yeah. beyond this, he also had taken a really bad breakup with a girlfriend really hard. Okay. Um, to the point where he decided to overdose on some pills. Oh, boy. Yeah. So he's got some emotional issues basically going on here. He actually told the police that his parents' reaction to his overdose was surprisingly casual. So he told them they really didn't take it serious or even acknowledge it. Well, he probably got the pills from them. And so they're probably doing that to play it cool. So they're not held responsible. Right. So in my studies and psychology and things that I've learned, there are some signs of, you know, people who try to commit suicide. Sometimes it's not necessarily they actually wanted to kill themselves. They're looking for attention. Yeah. They want that. So he kind of seems like the kind of kid that at this point in his life, he really needs that. He needs his parents. I think with younger siblings that probably, I mean, I know what that's like. You need your parents and a younger sibling's kind of taking them from you. Um, yes. And I'll tell you from my experience, maybe responding to these certain things over my career that, yeah, pills, cutting, things like that. Those are cries for attention because if you're going to kill yourself, you're just going to do it. There's easy ways to do it quick and dirty. So if you really, if you really mean it and you're committed you're just going to jump off a building or you're going to shoot yourself. Exactly. These other ones that kind of take a little time. I don't know. I mean. I'm sure there's, you know, stories we could find that are the opposite of what we're saying. Of course. But in our, I mean, in in my studies, my opinion, my own personal situation. Yep. That's, you know, kind of what was going on here. And the fact that he specifically said they didn't even acknowledge it or pay attention to me. Yeah. Tells me that that's kind of what he was looking to do was to get their attention. Right. Well, instead of helping him in a different way, Andrew decides she's going to give him a clean slate. She's going to move him to Seattle. So in 2013, she moves him out with his brother, who's studying at Washington State University. So he would be nearby. Ashton enrolled at North Seattle Community College. So he's not going to the university with his brother. 
Um, I don't know why it could have been too late to apply to the four-year college. It might have been too late in the fall semester. I don't know why he didn't apply, but this is where he's going. Um, and his mother set him up in style. She bought him a condo for $233,500 <laughs> and a white Prius. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to have a white Prius if you're going to live in Seattle, right? Right. It kind of comes with the the license, I guess. I yes. Don't know. <laughs> yes, exactly. So friends had noticed he, I think I mentioned this already, he was upbeat. He was talking about his future. It seemed like he was going to be really happy here. Um, sounded like it was a good move for him. Yeah. Um, but he returned home from the holidays on January 3rd. He was really positive about his future. Um, he and his mom had a meal with a friend and then they decided that they were going to take a long walk on the beach. But this would be the last time that family and friends would ever see Andra alive. Hmm. Okay. Ashton told police that he drove back to Orange County from Seattle about five weeks later, arriving in San Juan Capistrano late on that Saturday evening of February 8th. Okay. For reasons that remain unclear, he spent an hour or two in the parking lot of a commercial building that his mother owned. Then he made his way to the house. After entering the home about 1.30 in the morning, he wandered around upstairs for about 10 to 15 minutes. He told police that at this point he was thinking about what he was going to do, whether he was going to go through with it or not. He concluded that he had to kill his parents. Um, they were asleep in their bed. He shot them first. Um, police aren't sure why those shots didn't wake the siblings of the dogs. I mean, I would think they would. It's just, I mean, it's a three story home, but I think most of the, the bedrooms were on the second and third floors. Well, I mean, so a 22 rifle is not that loud. It's not going to be like a shotgun or a, lar- a really loud boom. And so, like I said in the beginning, if you're not accustomed to what a gunshot sounds like, even though it's in your own house, you may, you could sleep through it, I guess, if you're a deep sleeper, but you may just play it off in your brain as something else where maybe it wakes you, but you just go back to sleep because A, that never happens there. Right. And B, you don't even know what a real gunshot sounds like. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that go on in your brain to where you kind of talk yourself out of it. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, my, what I'm wondering about though, is that remember he shot them so many times in the face that there was no way they were going to survive this. So it wasn't like it was just one or two shots. Right. So, but yeah. I hear you. I mean, people are asleep. Maybe the, like we said, there's three stories in this home. It's a, what did we say? It's an 8,000 square foot house. So, yeah. so I mean, like, so we, the audience doesn't know this, but we live near a gun range. The booms we hear all the way at our house, mm-hmm. those are like shotguns because they're loud. But at 22, right. we wouldn't hear that. Okay. Uh, I mean, and like I said, it's in the same house, but depending on how well built the house is, the proximity of the rooms, and how quickly in succession he shot those. I could see where it could go missed. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's plausible, you know? So Ashton told Orange County sheriffs that after he did this, he felt a rush of, I don't know what, adrenaline, I guess. So again, he said he felt a rush. He felt at that point something like snapped in him. Yeah, because he did it. I mean, it takes right. some it takes some balls to do something like this. I, I can imagine you'd feel that. Yeah. So at this point, he decides to continue with the shooting spree. And even though his plan, you know, was just to kill them and then to kill himself, he made no attempt to do so. Decided not to after all, I guess. He returned to his car out front and drove back to the parking lot where he called a cab to take him to John Wayne Airport. Police believed he'd bought an American Airlines ticket on his drive to Orange County 
and then he was back in Seattle by 10 in the morning. Did he have any other weapons on him? Was he, or was he planning to use the rifle to kill himself? Because that's difficult. Right. No, I think that's all he had. Okay. Yeah. Maybe he tried and didn't couldn't do it. I mean, that's really hard <laughs> with a long yeah. gun to shoot yourself. Yeah. So he wasn't arrested until March 6th, which was almost a year later. Or a year later, excuse me, a month later. Yeah. Um, the cell phone res- records suggested a link between the Prius and the shootings, and the police traced the car to the Seattle area home of the owner of an auto transportation company. Hmm. Those records showed that Ashton had called to have the car shipped from the the lot where his mom's business was mm-hmm. shortly after the murders. So he <laughs> left the car there, decides to have it shipped back to Seattle for him yeah. and not? flew back. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's already a red flag. Yeah. Like, why not why just drive? Just drive back. It's not, I mean, what did we decide? It was like 17 hours or something. Yeah. But maybe he thought people would be um, onto him, I guess, and he wouldn't get through borders. I don't know. It's, yeah. I mean, maybe having the car old, so. there would put him in the area. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Seems so the, like it would be worse for you to leave the car behind. But. Right. So the company's owner had told the grand jury that he was holding the car until Ashton could pick it up. Ashton's alibi that he had been in Seattle at the time um, had fallen apart. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, now he doesn't have one, right? right? Inside the vehicle, the police get a search warrant. They found the Ruger inside. Yes. Okay. So Andrew's sisters and friends insist that what Ashton told police doesn't make sense. About basically that she was not paying attention to him, that they had a really troubled relationship. They said she was like extremely devoted to her children. But his mother clearly was losing patience with his weight. I mean, he's a slacker. Yeah. So clearly, you know, she's just losing patience with him. And she was planning some major changes for her family that included selling their tree on Pepper Tree Bend, the San Juan Capistrano house, and deciding to simplify their lifestyle. According to friends... Andrew was thinking about retiring with Brad to San Diego okay, where they had gone to high school and they still had friends and relatives. Remember I told you she moved there when she was 15. So Mm -hmm. she kind of grew up there. It seems like in late 2013, she offered just over $1 million for a 2,100 square foot, three bedroom waterfront home in Coronado. So three bedrooms, yeah, not any room for Ashton if he decides he wants to come home. right? Right. Yeah. Though, I mean, clearly 2,000 square foot from an 8,000 square foot is yeah. a big jump, right? right? It's relatively modest. It was going to be drastically cheaper to maintain for them mm-hmm. than this enormous house in San Juan Capistrano. And she needed a place where Brad, who now um, at this point is suffering from an aggressive form of Parkinson's. So she wanted to find a house where he could access everything on one floor. Yeah. Where they could kind of just focus on him and mm-hmm. what he needs rather than having to take care of this redonkulous house. Yeah. So the paperwork was finalized on January 27th, just two weeks before the murders. So I'm thinking it kind of sounds like she's cutting the kid out of her life, basically. And, and to a kid who seems like he really needs this attention at this point in time, that, I mean, that could be it, right? I mean, that's how I feel anyway. Yes, I think that definitely led to it, but also maybe... I have a theory, but go ahead and finish. Okay. So she was also looking to make some changes to her financial arrangements. Nobody knows exactly what those changes were at this point, because obviously she said she can't tell us her side, but she did uh, draw up a new will in May of 2007. So that's still, you know, not quite here. Yeah. Um, But don't forget that 2007 is when they adopted the two new children. Yes. Okay. 
Um, so you would she, do a new will at that point. Yeah. Right. So she left most of her personal effects to her children with distributions to be made through a trust until they reached the age of 30. Mm-hmm. Another trust she set up in 2010 to benefit the children appears to cover the distribution of real estate assets. So she's kind of getting all her affairs in order at this point. We don't know, obviously, exactly what was said in the wills, but maybe there was something in there that triggered something. I don't know. As for Ashton, other text messages suggest a rising tension between him and his mother. So on October 6th of the year before all of this happened, um, she told him that they deposited money to his bank account, but that he needs to spend it slowly. So text messages are showing there's a little bit of tension going on between the parents. I think she's getting a little frustrated with how much money he's spending, how he's spending it. Maybe she's pulling back finances a little bit from him. Yeah, that's typical parent kid relationship stuff though right but a kid who's used to having everything all the time yeah who already is emotionally imbalanced right um might have a little problem with that so on november 28th she asked him to stop playing video games so much he responded by referring to miles which is the oldest son as her little pet and complaining about being asked to get a part-time job so he's you know stamping his feet like a little child at this point On February 7th, just two days before the murders, they had their most heated exchange. After Andra complained that Ashton had forgotten his father's 57th birthday the previous day, he texted her, quote, I forgot his birthday just as much as he forgot he has a son. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's red flag right there. Andra's shock registers back in her reply when she says, quote, wow, no, he didn't. He loves you very much. So, I think Ashton's just, like, unhinged by this, like, his young life is just crazy, right? I mean, he's growing up and all this stuff going on uh, with his parents and stuff. He has uncertainties, obviously, building around him as he's trying to adjust to life away from home. We all know how that is, right? Yeah. I mean, I moved away and decided I couldn't do it and I came back. (laughs) Well, yes. And if you've lived in that kind of sheltered lifestyle or bubble of Orange County, which we know very well. Right. Going anywhere, even though Seattle seems close and easy, it's a culture change, big time. And you're there on your own with your older brother to try to get along? Right. I mean, come on. So, it's that. I think also, you know, his mom finally saying no, deciding she's going to say no to this kid after all these years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Or maybe it's just the difficulties of his present fused with the traumas of his early childhood, right? So, everything's just kind of like crashing together for this kid the you know the loss of a sister his parents fraying marriage i think they just festered into like this unresolved darkness until he just erupts right i mean yeah and so my theory is that there could have been a potential for some type of radicalization as well i don't mean like terrorists and al-qaeda and all that but you go away right you start seeing other things Seattle's very kind of liberal state um, city. Washington is as well. And so maybe just that influence and then the games and who knows who he was hanging out with there or whatever. But in my experience hearing about these things, that always happens too, is that all of a sudden they flip this switch because somebody's been influencing them or something has. And I'd have to go back and check my research about world events in 2014 that may have influenced this if there were anything similar to this. Yeah. Um, but I know that for kids that are on the edge like that, that's always the thing that'll just, that slight push they need. 
is, oh, so-and-so did this. And even if they don't get away with it, like, well, if they can do it, I can do it kind of thing. Yeah. Well, so we have all these questions that are unanswered. Even through the trial, (laughs) they don't get any answers. He doesn't, he just says, I don't know. I just did it. So So he's, what, 34 now? Yeah, I guess so. Locked up, I'm sure. Yes. So he has received two life sentences without the possibility of parole for their murders and then an additional 50 years for using a firearm. Wow. Yeah. So he is spending the rest of his life in jail. And I don't know how I missed it. I don't know either. (laughs) I'm trying to think. I always think about, like, like we said in the beginning, when we miss these movies that came out or whatever, like what was going on in our life during that time? Yeah. And I mean, I think, think that was the point in time when we were moving out of my parents and into the apartment, I think. Yeah. In Ladera. Depending on, yeah. Depending on when. when Isabel about, was two. Yeah. Or maybe we were moving into theirs from the other. I yeah, don't know. Something about So I think that, yeah. it was just we were in economical unrest. <laughs> we were, you know, things just changing. We're dealing with a four-year-old and a two-year-old. But it's still, it. I don't know, me being so into true crime, having this right in my backyard, like, I don't know how I wasn't obsessed with this. I think it was, like you said, it's just that that time, 2010 to like 2017, before we moved here, seems yeah. like a blur to me. Yeah. Because okay. of, like you said, we where do we live at? Like seven different places, the financial unrest, the um, job changes, whatever. It just seems like the kids in that kind of crucial time in their development and whatever i i know i stopped paying attention to the news and prior to having kids i was watching the news every day for yeah. work and everything else i was like very in tune to right. all this stuff reading the paper and then all of a sudden that just kind of went on hold right I, mean, you know? I used to listen to talk radio like i don't know how i didn't i mean i listen to talk radio every morning on my way to work yeah i don't know i don't know how i didn't hear this so anyway crazy so that was the murder of brad and andrew Sachs. wow yeah, how did we miss that? That's crazy. <laughs> All right, so is it my turn? It's your turn. What so do you have my, for me? So my part of this show is like conspiracy theories. And right. I'm going to kind of talk about real quickly the really modern day kind of granddaddy of them all. The The old school one would be probably the Kennedy assassination, right? Yeah. That's the one everyone talks about and is just this big deal, still kind of unsolved and lots of theories out there. But this one is the 9-11 was an inside job. Oh, okay. So are you familiar with this at all? I don't really know the specifics. I I mean, I've heard people say that before, but I don't know like why they believe that. So this will be interesting to hear. Okay. Well, I've mentioned this before on other podcasts and whatnot, and to anyone who will listen, 9-11 was such a different time because of no social media. It wasn't around yet. It wasn't invented. Smartphones weren't around yet. So you're I mean, can you imagine all the different videos and pictures and everything there would be if there were smartphones? Yeah. And then if there was social media, the the uh, dungeon that is Twitter and everything else, people would have been throwing mud at George W. Bush and saying this was his fault. Everything we're kind of seeing now. Exactly. In political unrest and with COVID and everything else, how people blame other people. That would have been going on then as well. Maybe. I mean... Maybe we were just a different society back then, but social media is the devil. It's it's killed our society. <laughs> and this was kind of the first big conspiracy theory of the digital age. Okay. So I got this. I Well, first of all, let me give some background. I'm a huge 9-11 nerd. This is the biggest historical, before this pandemic anyway, This the biggest historical event of my lifetime. This is my 
Pearl Harbor. This is my exactly. Kennedy. It's ours. I shouldn't say my. We're roughly the same age. This is our big, huge thing. And so I'm a big nerd. I've watched every anniversary program that comes on on oh, 9-11 yes. years followed. I've read multiple books. I read the commission report. This event was is kind of responsible for my field of work, my my field of study, all that stuff. So, I, I mean, I, I hold it close to my heart because of that. Even though it's a tragic event, it shaped who I am as a business professional and who yeah, I exactly. am. Yeah, exactly. Everything I believe in, protecting my family, all that stuff is because of this one event. So, I, I took a deep dive into it and have read everything. But one thing that I missed was this whole conspiracy piece of it that I didn't hear about till years later. Right. It's same. I mean, I've heard someone say like, you know, people joke about it like on Family Guy or something. They'll be like, 9-11 was inside job. And I'm right, like, OK, right. I don't know what that means. So. Well, it's is, funny yeah. you say that, that it made its way into pop culture, because like I said, no social media back then. Exactly. None of this stuff. And so this actually came about several years later when social media started to come on board. And oh, I can't remember. I think it's 2005 is when Facebook was invented or came about. And so this started to really get some traction around that time because their voice could be more widespread to more people. It wasn't just about like, I don't know, I guess prior to social media, you had to be a town crier or send flyers around or whatever you want people to hear <laughs> your message. A traveling, what are the people called that sing? Traveling, uh... uh I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say Toblerone, but that's chocolate. Yeah, that sounds delicious. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and I guess back then you had to like probably write a column or get something published. I mean, I don't know. I can't remember. It seems so long ago. So this started to get some traction and I'm getting this information that I'm specifically speaking on today from a Wall Street Journal article, which I will try to tag in the link when we release our social media and all that. But Wall Street Journal is a little tricky. They want you to pay right. for their stuff. So I was lucky enough to find this through Google. It's very recent. It was written September 10th of 2020. Oh, okay. So like right around the uh, anniversary. Yes. And so it gets kind of into this and how this whole thing came about, like I said, a couple years after the event where people were saying that the government did this. It was George Bush approved the plans and through interior demolition of the towers, they're claiming mm, that a cruise okay. missile hit the Pentagon, not a plane. Oh. So even though there was footage of this, there's that one group that was making a documentary on the NYFD, the fire department, uh -huh. who sees the plane fly into the building. Wait, 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 back up. They were making the documentary at the time it happened or like after the fact? No, at the time it happened. Oh, so there's, weird. there's footage out what there. What an odd thing. That today would be someone's cell phone camera. Right. Just doing what it, assholes do when there's some kind of an event. They pull their phone out and film instead of yeah, help. Yeah, right. But this group was making a documentary about one of the companies for the fire department in New York. So they were there and like interviewing and they were going on ride-alongs. And they hear this plane that sounds super low and they sh go up and they sh move the camera up like any good filmmaker would. And they see the plane hit the World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. And we all know what happens after that. Right. And then there's security camera footage of a plane hitting the Pentagon. Yeah. And so the evidence is out there. We've Yeah, we've seen it. Everyone's seen it millions of times. But this group comes out and says, no, no, that's all fake. This is a... An inside job. The government planned this and they used um, ballistics to blow up the towers, implode them from the inside. Huh. 
They started throwing blame at George W. Bush. They were asserting that his administration was hiding the truth about al-Qaeda's attacks and doing the nefarious bidding of oil interests, the Saudi government, or the Jews. Okay, so they think it's like basically oil related. Yeah, or for like just, you know, insider political just okay business, you know, which is absurd because there's a lot of people that died and yeah. there's there's footage, like there's proof. So unless we, unless Bush was partnering with Osama bin Laden, which I highly doubt, and we're part of Al-Qaeda now in some way, and they actually still carried out the plan. But this whole nonsense about that it blew up from the inside with strategically placed explosives. So are they saying nonsense. just the towers or both the Pentagon and the towers? All of it. They're saying all okay, of it was so an inside job. Okay. So I think they're acknowledging that planes did hit, but they're saying that we planned that. Okay. We were working uh, okay. with Al-Qaeda with and said, this is what you're going to do. I see. Because this is what it's going to look like, the bigger picture. So like I said, by March of 2005, all these conspiracies were very prevalent enough, so much so that popular mechanics devoted an entire special issue to debunking them. Again, I missed that as well, because <laughs> I, being a 9-11 nerd, I would have read that. Yeah. Um, and that project grew into a book with a foreword from Senator John McCain who stated that the 9-11 conspiracy movement exploits the public's anger and sadness. Well, yeah. It traffics in ugly, unfounded accusations of extraordinary evil against fellow Americans, which I couldn't agree more. I mean, like, what are we, <laughs> who are these Americans that are saying this about our government and but fellow wait, Americans? there's a whole book? Yeah. How did we... <laughs> well, there's a book, there's a book debunking it there is right. not a book but i'm about to get to something else that we okay. missed okay, that okay i think we need to watch i'm when strapping we get, in let's do this i think we need to watch this when we get a free moment over the obama obama years the conspiracy theories became almost declarations of faith hundreds of people now gather at 9-11 conspiracy conferences there's a conference to hear pseudoscientific presentations wow. trade theories and purchase propaganda participants share something almost like a lifestyle so, I mean, I've heard this about certain conspiracies and like the whole drink the Kool-Aid, hail Bob Comet people and all that. Right. You can really get you can really get absorbed by these things yeah. where it becomes a way of life. And I can if see you, that. I don't know if you're just nuts or you really believe what they're preaching. I, I mean, these the, the kind of people that go down these roads are the kind of people that shoot their parents in the face right? because they're banana lands. Right. I mean, so. Right. <laughs> And in this particular one, like like I mentioned the Kennedy assassination, there's not a lot of evidence out there because of the time period. There's not a lot of footage, all that stuff. So it's easy to kind of go down conspiracy highway. But in this particular case, there's there's photographic, there's video evidence. Al-Qaeda all but admitted it. I mean, <laughs> there's all the proof you need. So I just can't believe that these things exist. Yeah. The conspiracy theories heralded in many ways the rampant misinformation and disinformation of the internet age, which is what we're seeing now with COVID, right? There is just so much misinformation out there, and this has kind of led to something I'm going to talk about in episode two or three or something down the road, is this QAnon, and I think I'm saying that right, but that's the new kind of conspiracy theory group out there Okay, that's trying to say that COVID's a hoax. Um, it's the government, it's all these things. They're the ones that are doing this. But now, unlike on 9-11, they have the power of the social media. And like I've mentioned on our other podcasts and other things, that, that documentary Social Dilemma that talks about how social media is 
using algorithms to influence what we see and read yeah. on social media. Right. This is some very scary shit that's going on. <laughs> yeah. And we're adults and we can sort of make decisions for ourselves. But the, there's kids reading this. Our kids yeah, are going to start right. having phones and social medias. And so if there's any truth to that social dilemma show and how this is happening, there's groups out here like QAnon and these people behind this 9-11 nonsense that are influencing what you're reading. Yes. And you start to go down this rabbit hole. And next thing you know, you're a believer of this stuff. You're anti-government. And, and you're, you're wearing a tinfoil hat. And yeah. Or or worse, you're becoming <laughs> radicalized by these right, right yeah, wing. Exactly extremist groups and now you're committing crimes and, and hate crimes and whatever else so it's it's a scary scary road we're going down right but this was the the big thing i wanted to land here is how did we miss there's a movie called loose change okay no critic reviews on rotten tomatoes but 79 with the audience or something uh-huh. that is all about this conspiracy theory what? not debunking it but like trying to prove it wow. and i read some of the reviews from the audience and they are like all for it. They're like, absolutely, this opens up some great points. I can't believe I didn't know this before. The government totally did this. So you can get it on Amazon oh Prime Video and it's still available on YouTube. But I oh, think man. I need to see this thing. Right. Well, we have Prime Video. Maybe and we so, should watch it and report back. Right. And so for me, with with the premise of this show, I don't know how I haven't heard of this. I heard yeah. about the whole inside job thing. But I think with me, and my intelligence level and what I know of the event, I just kind of blew it off. Like, yeah, right, whatever. But there's a movie. I, I should have seen this. I've seen every 9-11 movie, documentary, news yeah. story known to man. Right. But I missed this somehow. So I'm going to try to watch that. But I think we should tag the article. If you don't know anything about this or you just, like I did, just shut it out because you know it's nonsense, look more into it because it's, this, what, like I said, was the first real theory of the digital age, and it's influencing the groups now. Yeah. They're, this is like the OG for, for the social media age. Right. And so they look up to them. They're following in their footsteps with everything we see that's a cons- conspiracy theory now. Yeah. Which is only going to get worse after this election. So <laughs> like we ask ourselves, how did I miss this? Right. <laughs> I don't know. How, I, yeah. It's crazy, crazy, right? So I just remembered as you were talking about like the that video i had a friend of mine who is she is like one of those i'm gonna live off the grid in the woods kind of people which is odd because she's on facebook constantly but whatever that's a different story (laughs) that is the grid that is the actual grid yeah so anyway she posted all kinds of stuff on the anniversary of 9-11 And one of the things she posted was a video that is insisting that it was a missile that hit the Pentagon. Yeah, that's what these people say. Right. Cruise missile. So let's say it was a missile. I watched the video and I'm kind of like, oh, that actually doesn't, I mean, it doesn't actually look like a plane. But what they're trying to say is in the video, the plane was so fast and it hit so quickly that it, it, doesn't look like a plane, but it, it was yeah. the plane. I mean, and, I mean, I know a person who was personally on the plane. Right. So, I mean, it's like, it obviously wasn't a missile. It obviously yeah. was the plane, but it's really easy. I mean, as I've seen to go, oh, wait a minute. Oh, you know, for sure. Like, and especially if you're a skeptic like me, like I mentioned, and I'm a skeptic. And so w- yeah. when you see these things, and there is some, this article calls it pseudoscientific, but it seems kind of scientific. Yeah the angles of things and how things burned and how towers fell or whatever, where if you're 
weak-minded and you are open to believing this thing or a super skeptic or a conspiracy theorist big time, you're going to be like, yeah, that's what happened. And what I'm trying to say and what we'll get into much more in future episodes is how we're being influenced and molded by this social media and even mainstream media is being influenced by social media yeah, and these groups. And so the the information and the data is just all over the place. And so if you are like this kid that you talked about who is easily influenced, has some trauma going on, all it takes is the right thing to pop up on your news feed to say, holy shit, I'm in a bad way. I'm going to follow this. And then you click on a link and you click on another link and it takes you down this path to next thing you know. You're you're part of the KKK and you're doing bad things. Right. And, <laughs> for and, example, you know, I mean, I'm going to get into it in some cases as well in the future here on, on upcoming episodes. It, it also is. It's really easy for people to see what they want to see. Um, It's shown thousands of times. There's actually a, a scientific name for it, which I don't it's escaping me right now. And maybe I'll remember it in the future. But you know, for example, the police might have who they think is their suspect. They will find whatever they can to make that true. You know, and oh, I feel well, that like, happened with Adnan and Serial. Right. I mean, so I feel like that kind of happens too. If people really want this to be true or they are, you know, like we talked about, it, it just not in a good way. Things are just not going right for them. They're going to find whatever they can. Yeah. That this is going to be true. And in, in, in addition to that, your unconscious biases start to come in. We saw yes. that in Serial that we mentioned as well, is that the race relations were high with Middle Eastern people at that point. So you start exactly. seeing things differently, even though the truth is right in front of your face. Exactly. Interesting stuff. This Good is going to be man. fun. I know. I'm excited I love about it. this. I want to listen to us. All right. And all <laughs> of you should, too. And all of you should, too. So where can they find us? So uh, actually, I need to pause for a minute because I completely pause. I was so excited to get into the story. Yeah. I was really excited about it. I love it that I forgot to tell you that I actually got my information from a 48 hours episode that's called Shadow of Death and from an Orange Coast magazine article by Matthew Heller from November 20th of 2014. So we have so a I social media, right? Sources. We do. And we have um, where are we at? We are on Facebook and Instagram at How Did We Miss That? Right. And we are at How Did We Miss That podcast at gmail.com. So we will link all this stuff yes, on there. They will be on our social. And maybe if this thing takes off, we'll have a website where y'all can go and get more information. One yes. stop murder shop. That would be lovely. Yeah, I love it. I love seeing you so excited. This is very exciting <laughs> for me to see this passion that you have for this. So this is going to be lots of fun. I'm going to try to stay out of your way. Okay, what well, stay you, out of my way. Yeah, this is. I your want you project, to come baby. along with me. This my is, way. I'm I'm with you 100, percent but I'm uh I'm riding a shotgun on this one. All right. All right. So, what do you want? We're gonna close this thing out. Are we done? Let's let's finish it. All right. Let's and we'll do finish it. it by saying, keep your heads up and look after each other. Yes, absolutely. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs>